Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, Major Junior. Hey, Connor McDavid of the Erie Otters. Matt Barzell of Seattle Thunderbirds. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. I'm Braden Holpe for the Saskatoon Blades. This is Gabriel Landeskog. I'm playing for the Kitchen Rangers. Hi, this is Sean Couturier from the Drummondville Voltager. Carter Hart of the Everett Silvertips. This is Taylor Hall of the Windsor Spitfire. Nathan McKinnon from the Halifax Mooseheads. NCAA. Hey, this is Jack Eichel. I play at Boston University. Metallic Turcotte. Hey, it's Kale McCarver. Hey, this is Jack Drury. Hey, it's Kyle Connor. Hi, this is Ian Mitchell of the Denver University Pioneers. It's Morgan Barron from Cornell University. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. Hello, this is uh, Jerry York, the coach at Boston College. The World Juniors. My name is Andres Fischko from uh, Team Russia. Hey, it's Joel Ferby from Team USA. It's Norris Sider from Germany. I'm Philip Broberg of the Team Sweden. It's Ellie Paul Lennon. Hey, it's Nikolai Ehlers. It's Matt Sogard. Hi, it's Timo Meyer. Hi, this is Jordan Edwards of Team Canada. The NHL Draft. This is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Hi, it's Gordon Bicep from the Sudbury Wolves. Connor Derry from the Camelot Blazers. I'm Alexander Holtz. I'm Lucas Freeman. Cole Perfetti of the Saginaw Spirit. Dylan Holler from the Wisconsin Badgers. Hey, it's Jake Sampson. I play for Team USA. Brady Schneider, Caden Dooley. Here's Marco Rossi. I'm from the other sound. And more. Excellent! This is the Pipeline Show. Good weekend. Welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Key Flaming. That's me. If you're a newcomer to the show, then first off, welcome to the program. I hope you enjoy your stay. I'm curious as to what encouraged you or what tempted you enough to download this episode as your first taste of the Pipeline Show. If you're a returning listener, then welcome back. And of course, if you are one of the patrons on our Patreon site at patreon.com slash show, then extra special thank you to you because your monthly or annual uh, subscription Helps keep the lights on here at the Pipeline Show. I really appreciate uh, your support. You guys are awesome. Now able to submit questions in advance for the guests that I have coming up on the show. And of course, uh, getting early access to all the interviews that you hear on a weekly episode. Patrons get to hear those uh, interviews probably about an hour after they're complete and uh, put up on the page there at Patreon. And in fact, with this week's episodes, two of the interview segments that you're going to hear, they've been up for over a week now because uh, there was no uh, episode that came out last week. I'll get into that in a second, but um, welcome to everybody wherever you're coming from. If you take a second to leave a rating or a comment wherever you get your copy of the Pipeline Show from, if it's on iTunes or whatever, uh, I would really appreciate if you would do that. That would be fantastic. In fact, if you want to hit pause right now and go do that, that's great. That just helps spread the word a little bit and uh, get the algorithms working in our favor and uh, perhaps more listeners will check out the program. So if you could do that, I'd really appreciate it. All right, let's get to the show, and I, I'll, I'll explain what happened last week. I had uh, two interviews done, which uh, will be the first two guest segments that you hear on this week's show. They were both done and in the can, and I was uh, trying to get a third interview, actually two more interviews, and it's it looked like they were confirmed. Then one of them dropped out. The third one was still there, and I was Okay, I like to have four guest segments if possible, but three is the minimum. And I got pushed, and then it was it was supposed to happen on Thursday. Then it was supposed to happen on Friday. Then it was pushed to Sunday, and I, then I was really debating. Do I put out a show with only two interviews? I decided, you know what, I'm going to wait. I'm going to put the, the Sunday one into the show, and maybe I'll release it on Sunday. and It'll be a couple days late, but better late than never. And unfortunately, then on Sunday, it fell through. 
So then I was stuck, and then I decided, you know what, I'll just uh, add those two into a couple for this week, and we'll put the show together as normal. Uh, so I apologize for those of you who were like uh, trying to find the Pipeline show last week. You would have seen on Twitter that I had sent out the links to the early access uh, for those two interviews from last week. But then there was no full episode that came out. You're probably wondering what happened. Well, that's my explanation. I apologize. Uh, it's, uh, it's just the way it worked out. Uh, I That wasn't my intention. Let's get to the news and notes because there has been uh, some exciting developments here in the last little bit. Uh, I just announced today the WHL's Eastern Division return to play is formalized. Last week, I would have mentioned it during the show, but the U.S. Division has uh, set their return in the U.S. Division, they're going to play all of their games in the state of Washington. It sounds like the Portland Winterhawks are going to relocate for, just for the season. Again, the ab very abbreviated season. Uh, I'm told, it hasn't been announced as far as I've seen, but I'm told they'll probably play out of Kent, which is where the Seattle Thunderbirds play. And they are supposed to start play on March 19th. So almost a month after the Central Division here in Alberta uh, is set to return play. And announced today is the Eastern Division. Seven teams, they're all they're going to bubble it up in Regina. So all seven teams will play 24-game schedule, zero travel. They're going to play everything in Regina. You'd have to think that's going to be probably six to eight weeks. You know, 24 games with no travel. So you could play every second day or every second day with every once in a while a two-day break in there. I would think that would take six to eight weeks. Uh, but kudos to everybody for making this happen. Obviously, they are going to be really strict on their uh, testing protocols. I think the bubble format is the way to go. I understand why it's it can't be done everywhere because it's just too damn expensive. You got to think two months in a hotel, all the food that's involved in feeding everybody. Sure, there's no travel, but there's also no ticket income coming in. So the owners are taking a lot on here. Uh, so I really uh, hats off to the owners for doing this in all three jurisdictions. The only BC hasn't uh, confirmed anything yet, but you'd have to think they're, they've are they got to be pretty close. But I like the bubble idea in Regina. That is so expensive, though. But remember, the Saskatchewan government ponied up a, a bunch of money. I think it was to the tune of six hundred grand per team, if I remember correctly, something like that. So that obviously will go a long way to help. But with uh, Portland relocating... You know, there's going to be a big expense for the new ownership there in Portland with the Winterhawks. But bottom line is uh, WHL hockey is about to return. Can't say the same thing for the OHL. Nothing happening yet. And now we're seeing a lot of OHL players headed to Europe. I think there's somewhere up around 30 players now. Now, you'd think that once the European leagues are done, which is usually about late March, early April, those players can come back. Maybe the OHL returns with a bit of a spring league. So the timing might work for those players. As always, COVID's going to decide a lot of this, and only time will tell. Also, back to the WHL, the uh, roster pages on the WHL's website have been updated, which is great to see. So fans can get a look at what the teams are going to look like this year. Obviously, a lot of changes from last year, as in normal, from one season to the next. But a lot of import players aren't going to be around. So re-familiarize yourself with uh, your favorite WHL team. Go to the the WHL's website, and check out the roster pages. Rock Gold traded from Moose Jaw to Portland. I would have to think the fact that he's an American has something to do with that. Maybe uh, coming to Canada a bit problematic. Of course, you've got the big quarantine and all of those things. 
Uh, so the Portland Winterhawks add him to their club. Just a conditional pick uh, going back to Moose Jaw there. Uh, a few NCAA notes to pass on. The Penn State Nittany Alliance have suspended hockey operations right now as uh, somebody in their Tier 1 staff, I'm not sure if that's coaching staff or what that is, but Penn State shut down. Just out of curiosity, I was looking at the uh, scoring leaders in the NCAA yesterday, and I think everybody knows Cole Caulfield has been on uh, absolute tear here as of late, has taken over the scoring lead from Odin Tufto at Quinnipiac, who had 29 points, been the leader for most of the season. Well, Wisconsin throttled uh, Minnesota the last time they met. Two back-to-back games, really lopsided scores. Caulfield, uh, one of the leaders for the Badgers, picked up five points on the weekend. He now has 33 points on the year, and I I tweeted it uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, Everybody was really enamored with Caulfield after his freshman season, and he put up a ton of points. He had 36 points in 36 games. I wasn't necessarily on that train on the bus. I was still uh, a little bit more in wait and see. I wanted to see more consistency. I I thought he was really streaky where he'd go three games, get seven points, and then he'd be off the scoreboard for four games. Well, credit where where and when it's due, uh, he is having a fantastic season and, and is on an absolute tear. He's got 19 points in his last eight games, and his scoring uh, much more balanced and spread out. He has 33 points overall after 20 games, so heck of a year for Cole Caulfield. However, maybe being overshadowed a little bit is Dylan Holloway, who actually is on a more impressive scoring pace than Caulfield is. He's played fewer games because, remember, before Christmas, he was with Hockey Canada at their World Junior Camp, that extended long uh, camp. So he missed a bunch of games. He's only played 12 games so far this year. He's got 23 points. He is second only to David Ference in terms of points per game this season. And despite having only played 12 games, he's fifth in the NCAA in overall scoring with 23 points. So right now, Dylan Holloway is showing that uh, he's definitely got that offensive touch that he had with uh, Okotoks in the AJHL. Remember last year as a freshman, a young freshman at Wisconsin, the the offensive production wasn't really there. Uh, He has uh, definitely shown that he can score this season with the Badgers. And notably, one of my guests that you're going to hear from today uh, has indicated that Caulfield and Holloway aren't necessarily playing with on the same line all that much. I imagine they get some power play time together, but if they're on two different lines and producing this much, man, that team is going to be a force to come playoff time. And playoffs is something we do talk about, uh, college hockey playoffs. Uh, some formats from the conferences have been announced. Uh, my One of my guests today will cover all of that. Speaking of my guests, there are four of them on this week's uh, episode of the program. They all join me via the Troubled Monk hotline. You've been hearing me talk about Troubled Monk for the last uh, seven or eight months now. It's a brewery based in Red Deer, Alberta, and uh, supplying Albertans with delicious craft beverages, everything from soda to spirits, and of course, delicious craft beer. And man, they're releasing different different varieties every week. Seasonal flavors available uh, this week. You can get the lovely bunch of coconuts. It's a coconut milk stout. Haven't tried that one. Haven't tried the uh, Grindage Baltic Porter. Haven't tried the Sea Serpent, the Northwest IPA. All of those, seems like there's a new one every week. And it's been about six weeks since I've uh, topped up my supply of Troubled Monks. So those have all been released since my last shipment. But uh, some of my favorites, the Juicy Gossip IPA and a classic like the Daycation Lager. And 
I still love the ones that you get in the uh, the original taster pack with the Bucktooth Belgian White and the Pesky Pig and the Golden Gates Open Road American Brown Ale. There's so many different uh, varieties and flavors to check out. And the way to do that is you order online. If you're in Alberta, you can get free home delivery. You go to troubledmonk.com shop. You'll see it when you get to the website. And you enter promo code PIPELINE. And that shipment right to your door will be 100% free. Doesn't matter if you're spending 10 bucks or 100 bucks or 200 bucks, And it doesn't matter what you're buying. It'll come to you right to your door at no extra cost. If you, if you enjoy craft beverages, give it a try. I know you're going to love it. My guest this week, we'll start with the two that I spoke with last week and would have been on uh, last week's show. We'll begin with Dylan Duke. He is a uh, leading one of the leading scorers from the U.S. National Team Development Program. He is draft eligible, so that is a 2021 draft spotlight segment. And from that conversation with uh, Dylan, we'll have a chat with a player named Thomas Missouri. He's an Edmonton Oilers draft pick who's played the last number of years in the United States. He's from the Czech Republic, but he's played in the U.S. and was expected to start this season with the Chicago Steel, but uh, COVID had other plans. He went to Finland for a little bit, then got hurt. His rights were traded in January from Chicago to Des Moines, and he has joined the Buccaneers, but hasn't played a game just yet, but is really close to making his uh, season debut. We'll get caught up with Thomas Mazura talk about what a trying season it's been for a guy like that who's been bouncing around trying to find a place to get in some games and it looks like that's going to happen for him here shortly from there we will have a conversation about the whl's return to play here in alberta one of those teams is obviously the medicine hat tigers well gm and head coach willie desjardins is going to join me we get caught up on everything involved with the tigers return to action how they're going to handle everything what the last 10 11 months i guess has been like for a team and for a GM. And there's a couple of uh, very high-profile Tigers who will not be coming back this season. We'll let the coach tell you all about that. And lastly, uh, Jimmy Conley from USCHO. He's my college insider. He's going to join me for the NCAA Campus Report. Talk about the uh, the playoff formats for a number of conferences and some of those outstanding performances that he's picked up on this year in the NCAA. So lots to get to, and let's get right to it. The 2021 Draft Spotlight with Dylan Duke is up first here on the Pipeline Show. And the Finns will start a lead pass, finds Farinacci. In a low Farinacci scores! John Farinacci catches the Finns on a change, and the United States retakes the lead. Hey, it's John Farinacci from the Dexter Southfield School, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. They used to tell me, boy, you ain't going nowhere. Spruce Grove St. AJHL Hockey is back for the 2020-2021 season. Due to the ongoing pandemic, the attendance is limited at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. You can follow along across social media at SG Saints and support the Saints by heading to sprucegrovesaints.ca and purchasing your Cash's King tickets today. Over $33,000 in prizes to be given away. Again, head to sprucegrovesaints.ca for more information. The Spruce Grove Saints, proud supporters of the Pipeline Show. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Yes, that's awesome. 
We're back on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, and uh, we're going to turn on the 2021 Draft Spotlight chat with another player that is eligible for the uh, next NHL draft, currently scheduled to be in uh, late July this year, a little different than normal, but at uh, at least it's not October uh, like the 2020 version was. Uh, for this one, we're going to uh, Plymouth, uh, Michigan, and uh, get to chat with uh, Dylan Duke, a forward with the U.S. National Development Team with the U18 squad. Uh, Dylan, welcome to the program. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm not uh, a guy that's up for the NHL draft, though, so this is a exciting season for you. And man, you're playing well, leading the team in scoring right now. I have to, I'd have to think you're pretty happy with the way things have unfolded here so far. Yeah, it's definitely been uh, a lot of fun this year and a good start to the year, a good first half, and I think the team is uh, definitely clicking and uh, starting to really play uh, the right way all all the time and uh, on a consistent day-to-day basis. How challenging has this season been for, I guess, not just for you and for the program, but for the rest of uh, the USHL? And In fact, I mean, this is a program you're used to playing a lot of international games and against as with the U18 squad, you'd be playing a lot of Division One teams. How different has this year been? Yeah, it's definitely different. I mean, it's different for for everyone all over the world. So um, it's it's all about making the most of every day, every practice, every workout, and when you get an opportunity to play games, uh, just taking advantage of it and making sure that you're you're up for the task and ready to go because you never know uh, what's going to happen. Right now, it's uh, there's a lot of uncertainty and. Um, you know, at the U.S. program, they've done a great job um, keeping us, uh, you know, ready to go and uh, playing games. So it's been it's been a blast. And, you know, we're just we're thankful that um, we've been able to practice and play games here. The USHL schedule started obviously late because of COVID. Uh, and I, I have to think most of, if not all of the international games you would normally play, I, I'm assuming those have been all wiped out. How many games have you played against Division One teams this year? We've played uh, three Division One games, and we're going to be traveling to Arizona State to play our fourth and fifth Division One game. Oh, going to Arizona State? Uh, wh- how far away is that? Uh, it's pretty far. It's uh, I don't know. No, sorry, I don't. I don't mean geographically. I mean oh, the, how, on the calendar. Oh, how, how long until that happens? We leave Wednesday. Oh, well, that's nice. You get to go there and yeah. uh, get out of, out of uh, Michigan winter. Although. What's it been like in Michigan this year? Where I am, it's been considerably warmer than normal, so I don't know how bad winter has been in Michigan. Yeah, it hasn't been too bad, actually. Um, I have a pond in my backyard. It's been cold enough to where that freezed up, so I was able to skate back there a couple times. But other than I mean, really, it hasn't been a super, super bad winter. All right, well, still nice to get off to, uh, to the uh, Phoenix area in early February. Yeah, definitely. All right, uh, well, let's talk about this season from uh, your perspective. And uh, I mentioned leading the team in scoring right now, 19 goals, 33 points in 27 games. And being an offensive guy, nothing new for you. You were one of the, the top scorers on the U17 squad last year. Uh, so how how has this year been on, in terms of on the ice and in your performance and your development this season? I think uh, just trying to, trying to play um, a two-way game and, when you're playing hard all around the ice and uh, when I think when I'm at my best is when I'm uh, playing a 200 foot game. So um, playing great defense, I think that's what leads to offense and um, you got to, you can't get away from that. Um, You just got to make sure that you're, you're ready to play in, in all three zones. So I think when I'm doing that, that's when, 
it leads the offense and just kind of starts clicking. For for those of us who hadn't uh, had a chance to watch you play, uh, what would stand out about your game, or, or what what do you consider be? Uh, let's just say, give us a, a self scouting report. If we're gonna tune in and watch a game, watch it online. I guess would be the way to do it now. But uh, what should we expect to see from Dylan Duke? I think you would expect to see me, uh, you know, playing in the defensive zone first and making sure that I'm doing a great job there. And um, if I have to, blocking a shot or taking a hit to get the puck out of the zone. But then once I get, once we're in the offensive zone, uh, you could, you'd, you'd see me in front of the net, um, you know, taking cross checks or doing anything to screen the goalie and making plays right in front of the net. Um, I think I spend most of my time in the offensive zone, just right in front of the net and, you know, tipping pucks, uh, banging in rebounds, stuff like that, just um, working in front of the net. The sheet I'm looking at says center next to your name. Are you playing the middle? Uh, I haven't. Uh, I used to play center, uh, but then when I got to the U.S. program, I uh, moved to wing, and I've uh, been playing a little bit of center this year, but mostly at the wing. Okay, you're a left-handed shot, so if you're on the wing, are you on the left side, or do you, do you play on your off wing? I play the left side. Very good. Uh, now, uh, 19 goals and, and 14 assists, so you have more goals than, than assists. Do you see yourself more as a, a finisher than a setup guy? Yeah, I think um, I think I like to do a little bit of both. It's kind of been, um, you know, it's whatever whatever works, whatever the puck, if the puck's going in for my team, then I'm happy. So if, whether it's getting a goal or an assist, I think um, at the beginning of the year I had uh, a lot more assists than I did goals. And then as of late, the goals have been coming. And so it's just, uh, I, I, I like to contribute to my team however I can. So uh, anyway, if, if USA scores, then uh, I think it's great. Then you're happy. If the team benefits, then you benefit. That's the way to look at it. Correct. Yep, of course. Uh, and again, the sheet I'm looking at, uh, I don't know if these numbers are up to date or not, but it says five foot 10, 181 pounds. Uh, how far away from reality is that? Yeah, that's uh pretty accurate. Uh, I'd say 510s uh where I am and about 181 I go from probably 183 to 181 depending on the day. Uh depending on the day. All right, and what you had for supper the night before? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so not the tallest guy in the world, but a stocky. And it must be, you know, lower center of gravity, a hard guy to knock off the puck, that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. I think that's uh been been a big part of my game is just being being hard to play against. I mean, I'm not the biggest guy. I'm not six one, but um, I don't think that that has anything to do with really anything. I think I can go in the corner with a six one defenseman and come out with the puck. Uh, you know, I just be more competitive than anyone. Dylan, what we like to do in this part of the show is uh, kind of get to know a player who is eligible for the next NHL draft, like you are, and maybe we'll start with uh, getting some background uh, we'll go back to the beginning where are you from where did you where did you grow up i am um, originally from strongsville ohio and i grew up there until uh, i was in sixth grade i moved to uh, northville michigan so i grew up playing in strongsville uh and is that where you started playing hockey as well or did in sixth grade once you got to michigan did you start playing i don't i don't know what minor hockey is like in uh, in northern ohio no i actually yeah i did start playing in uh in ohio and that's where I I played probably till I was 12 years old there. I played played all my youth hockey there, and then well, not all my youth hockey, all my might hockey, and then by the time I got to squirts, I was in Michigan. Uh, and that's where Bell Tire and Copyware and all those uh, teams are, right in Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what led you to the uh, the program? Um, right as I got when I moved to Michigan on uh, sixth grade, 
uh, one of my teammates at the program, actually, Sasha Pastryoff, um moved from Bradenton, Florida the same year to play for the same Bell Tire team as me. And uh, his brother, Nick, uh, was a 17, U17 at the program. And me and Sasha would go to all the games. And we both just uh, really fell in love with the program and everything they had to offer. And, you know, we went to games from when we were in sixth grade to when we were um to when we made the team and we went to a lot of games and we just we really loved it and we always uh wanted to be like the the players that were out there we always dreamed of it and uh as a kid when you first got into hockey I, i'm guessing i know your dad was a player and played in college and and a little bit after that that is that where you you kind of got the the love for hockey yeah definitely i think uh he was my coach growing up when i lived in strongsville and um, you know, he obviously played college hockey, so he has experience in a little bit after that. So he was able to share his experiences with me and my brother and, you know, really helped us fall in love with the game. Now, he went to Western Michigan. You're uh, intending to go to the University of Michigan, play for the Wolverines. Did uh, did you consider Western Michigan or are you just kind of uh, carving your own path? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, it was obviously uh, in the back of my mind that obviously that's where my dad played. And, cool but um when it came down to it uh he you know let me do do my own thing and let it be my own experience so he didn't really pressure me too hard to go anywhere he just wanted me to go where I felt was right and um I definitely felt like University of Michigan was the right place for me uh and you mentioned your teammate Sasha is uh, his brother is at currently at uh, Michigan correct correct and funny he's going to Notre Dame so you kind of you're all your families are kind of uh, intercrossing because I think your little brother is uh, attending to go to uh, Notre Dame in a couple of years. Correct. Yeah. So yeah, it's funny. I mean, Sasha's brothers went to Michigan. I'm gonna go to Sasha's gonna go to Notre Dame. I'm gonna go to Michigan. My brother's gonna go to Notre Dame. It's pretty cool. <laughs> well, your teammates now, but pretty good rivalry between those two programs, both Big Ten, and you go back a number of years ago when they were both in the conference a long time ago too. There's a pretty good history of uh, a rivalry there. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's gonna be awesome. I'm I'm really excited for it. Now, Dylan, uh, how much you, uh, how much time do you spend thinking about the draft this year? And just with such a a crazy season with everything going on in the world, um, is the draft something you spend much time thinking about? Um, not not really. I mean, obviously, it's, I think it's in the back of everyone's head, but uh, it's not something that I think we're focused on on a day to day basis. Uh, right now, we're really focused on on the team and making sure the team keeps getting better and making sure that we're prepared to win a gold medal at U18 Worlds here soon at the end. I think it's in, yeah. Knock uh, on wood, or, yeah. Yeah, knock on wood. Uh, now, with the program, there are just, I mean, so many guys who do get drafted from the program. I, I would think, and maybe that's just me looking at it from the outside looking in, but I think that you guys would talk about the draft all the time. Not the case? Yeah, I mean, I think we talk about more about uh players that have been drafted out of the program not so much ourselves you know we don't want to don't want to get ahead of ourselves and just I think it's pretty cool to see the other guys and we do talk about the other guys like especially that old one team that was there the the year before us you know you see all those guys and um you know we do talk about those guys and the success that they're having at the college level now and obviously the success they had at the draft and at the program. But when the rankings come out, the various, you know, if it's central scouting or if it's, you know, some of the independent ones, you guys aren't all giving each other the gears because one guy is ranked ahead of the next and, and things like that, depending on which list you're looking at. I, teammates could kind of uh, be funny that way. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't think we really, 
I don't know. It's something that we don't really talk about. I don't know if it's just our team or if most teams talk about it, but we really haven't, uh, we haven't talked about it really at all. Uh, what sort of things are you trying to uh, really focus on in your own game this year uh, as you prepare for the draft? I think just trying to focus on my all-around game, just uh, keep getting better at every aspect. But um, I think uh, something that I've definitely focused in on here is my skating and just get, making sure I have a better stride and stuff like that. And then, obviously, I think uh, my shot can always be improving, so I spend time in the shooting room at USA Hockey Arena and to keep developing a better shot and. Uh, just little things to keep keep uh, developing my game and making sure that I'm taking steps uh, forward. Well, that's uh, good to hear. Even though you're filling the net already, uh, that you're still working on your shot. That's great. Uh, now, being a, a guy from Ohio but spent a lot of time in Michigan, I don't know if the Blue Jackets or the Red Wings might be your, your t- favorite team uh, growing up or if there's somebody else completely, one of the other squads uh, that you, you grew up cheering for. Did you have a favorite team? Yeah, I always uh I always grew up when I lived in uh Strongsville, I always grew up being a Penguins fan. Um Cindy Crosby was uh always my favorite player. I loved watching him play. Uh we my family and I would go up to Penguins games all the time. Pittsburgh's not too far from from where we lived, so um I definitely just loved watching Crosby play. I mean, such a great player and such a great leader. Excellent. Well, Dylan, listen, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this. I, I wish you and the rest of the club the uh, the best of luck this season. Thank you very much. Great to talk to you. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Dylan Duke from uh, Team USA, the U18 squad, and uh, he joined me last week. I had that conversation with him. Man, it's almost 10 days ago now. He uh, is up to 34 points on the season, 30 games. His uh, teammate and best friend there, Sasha Pastuov, has got 34 points as well. So they are neck and neck for the team lead. And a big defenseman, Luke Hughes, with 32 points. Duke and Hughes both going to uh, Michigan, I believe. So you know the Wolverines are just uh, reloading when they uh, get their freshmen that come in. And uh, some of the freshmen they have this year drafted or were just drafted. So a lot of those guys will might be one and done or two seasons and done, move on, depending what, you know, if the NHL gets back to normal. Uh, so you need to have that. If you're going to have a lot of turnover, you've got to have a supply of talented players coming in. And it looks like Mel Pearson and the, the folks at Michigan have that with a guy like Dylan Duke. Up next here on the Pipeline Show, we'll go back to the Troubled Monk hotline. And uh, the next guest you're going to hear from, another player that I had spoken with last week, is Thomas Mazura. He is a forward from the Czech Republic who's played the last number of years in the United States at an academy. He is a drafted player, owned by the, his rights owned by the Edmonton Oilers, but hasn't played a whole lot this year. And uh, kind of, he's been looking for a place to play. His rights were with one team in the USHL. They were traded. He played in Finland for a bit, got banged up. Well, let's catch up with a guy who's uh, really had a tough 2021 season, Thomas Mazura. He's up next here on the Pipeline Show. Stutzler, back to Sider, across to Bach. Dominic Bach, great pass in for Stutzler, slides it back across, they score! Hello, this is Tim Stutzler from Mannheim, and this is the Pipeline Show. There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. 
The store next door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks, a lot, a whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Oh my. We're back on The Pipeline Show and we're uh, going to continue uh, this week's episode. Well, I, I, I've been... Uh, Wanting to talk to a player who's really had a tough time this year in terms of finding a place to play and maybe bounced around a little bit. And, well, I think I found the perfect guest to, to talk about that and what that's like uh, because uh, my next guest is Thomas Missouri. He's an Edmonton Oilers prospect. He was drafted uh, by the Oilers back in the sixth round of the 2019 draft. And he's played in North America for the last number of years at, at Kimball. Uh, but he's uh, bounced around from the Omaha Lancers this year. I believe he was supposed to play with the Chicago Steel. Uh, that didn't happen. He got to play a few games in uh, in Finland, which is a little closer to uh, the Czech Republic, but uh, still not exactly uh, getting a lot of ice time there. Now it looks like he's going to get to play in the USHL once again with the Des Moines Buccaneers. They acquired his rights uh, just a couple of weeks ago, but he hasn't played yet. We'll find out why as we welcome Thomas Missouri to the Pipeline Show. Uh, Tomas, welcome to the program. How are you? Uh, hey, thanks for having me. I'm good. How are you? I'm well. I appreciate that you making the time. I guess right now, though, you have a little bit of extra time on your hands because you're not playing. Uh, maybe update everybody on what the situation is. Yeah, so it's kind of been a tough year, like you said in the, in, in the introduction. Um, I was in Finland in the junior league for a little bit, hoping to get a you know, get some playing time before, like, the borders open up and I can get over to the U.S. So I played four games there, but had some growing issues, and then it got pretty bad. So I uh, went to a doctor, got an MRI, and turned out I had to, like, do therapy for about three months, um, which went well. Then I just kept practicing at home, and I was looking uh, forward to going back to Finland. But it turned out the hockey was paused there. So right. that was another another red light there. So I was trying to figure out what to do in terms of where I'm going to play. And uh, I found a way to get over to the U.S. through uh, a student visa through a local community college. So I've been happy about that. And uh, the second practice here, I tweaked my groin again. So I'm hoping it's going to be fine soon. I'm doing some physical therapy now. And hopefully next week or the week after, I think I'll be good to go. All right. Well, that's a boy. What a tough, uh, tough way to spend this past season. And I imagine you talked to a lot of other players who were in the same situation as you were looking for a place to play. That, uh, that's that got to be really challenging. Yeah, it's tough for sure. I mean, I heard that uh, NCAA were thinking about allowing some of the European players to play in the pro leagues unless we, they took money, but turns out it didn't really happen. So I was kind of looking forward to playing for my hometown maybe or something like that. But yeah, this makes it tougher. But, you know... Like, that's a part of hockey. I mean, I haven't really missed a game in the last couple of years, and you just get seasons like that. So I'm just trying to stay positive here and hopefully 
soon I will play. So when uh, the trade happened from uh, the Chicago Steel, Ed, correct me if I'm wrong, you were supposed to go to Chicago at the start of the year, right? Uh, yes, I was, yeah. But uh, like I brought up a little bit, uh, how I got here through the community college, there just wasn't one near uh, the Steel, where the Steel is based, so I couldn't really combine the school with the hockey. So okay. I found a good place here uh, with Des Moines. So I've, talk, I've talked to Coach Menino before, so I'm I'm happy. You know, it was like always an option for me. So, so did you almost have to ask the the steel to trade you to Des Moines because you knew that was kind of the only way to get to the U.S. and 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 to play? You wouldn't be able to play for Chicago, but you might be able to play for Des Moines. Uh, yeah. Like hmm. I just did some research and you know, reached out to some teams if this would be uh, possible. I mean, I was hoping to because I knew I had an option in Finland to go back, worst case, after the injury, because I think they're just starting up now again. Mm, okay. But, you know, I just did it for sort of, like, research, because I, you know, I wanted to get over to the U.S., and it turned out, it turns out it worked like that, worked out like that, sorry. Um, I think, I'm not exactly sure, I think they didn't even have to trade me, it was just because I didn't really report to the team, I think my rights, just, I was just a free player, but oh, I, I might be wrong, I'm not exactly sure, I'm not. Okay. Uh, Thomas Mazura is my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, well, tell me about the uh, the last four years. Uh, you, you spent them all in North America at, at Kimball Union, uh, the academy. Uh, your English, obviously, is really, really uh, good. Had you practiced your English before you got to Kimball, or is this all in the last four years for you? Uh, I did. Um, I I used to go to hockey camps in Minnesota or like Chicago in the summers before. So I would just, you know, I'm obviously from the Czech Republic, uh, grew up there, but my dad, he was, he sort of like had it as a goal to uh, allow me to play college hockey, which obviously I'm really thankful for. So he would bring me to hockey camps where I would just learn how to speak. Hmm. And then once I was doing school, then it's kind of a no brainer. Like you have to, you have to figure it out. So, Mostly the last four years, but I had a base before that. Okay, I see. Uh, why Kimball? What led you there? Um, <laughs> it's it's sort of an interesting story. I mean, I was never like a, a high prospect or anything coming out of the Czech Republic. You know, I I was uh, sort of a late bloomer, so I grew up pretty late, and I kind of had trouble finding ice time at home. And um, so I went to this hockey camp where I met Coach Whitehead, who is the coach at Kimball Union, who has great history, and um, I I don't know, I'm not sure he saw that much potential in me, but you know, he probably thought that there was something there, so he just brought me in, and and I was, yeah, it worked out for me, so I'm happy about that. The the uh, the page I'm looking at right now says you're six foot four and 190 pounds. Is that up to date or? Uh, the six four part is. I think I'm about one ninety six right now. So I've been I've been uh bulking up a little bit. I mean I had some time off during the during the injury where I could do upper body and, and stuff, so I'm always adding, you know, it, it takes time for some people. It's not it's not really uh immediate. I, I guess where I was gonna go was have you always been really big? You said you were a late bloomer. Does that include, you know, growing? Did you suddenly get really tall or have you always been like the biggest kid in your in your class i wouldn't say i was always the biggest kid i mean i was one of the bigger ones like i was uh pretty pretty strong and big around like sixth grade seventh grade and then uh i have like 
school pictures. We took pictures every year. And I, at the at the start, where I went to the school in like sixth grade, I was the tallest out of my class. Mm-hmm. And then um, by the time I was in ninth grade, I was one of the shortest ones. Oh, so wow. I kind of stopped growing for a good amount, and then graduations have been growing since. So I was about five nine maybe when I showed up to KUA. You know, moved up to like six maybe my sophomore year and junior year was like six three. So I'm kind of gradually growing, but I think I'm done now. It looks like on the sheet again that tells me your stats and things like that. Your first two years at, at KUA, you didn't you, there wasn't uh, you didn't play a whole lot. There's not a lot of points. But then you were the leading scorer for the, uh, on your team the last two years. What changed? Well, definitely the growing part. You know, I got stronger and more mature. But, um, yeah, first year I played JV, which was actually very good because um, Coach Whitehead, like, he knew I could probably play varsity, but it would be a struggle for me due to the strength and stuff. So I played junior varsity where it was still, like, okay level. We played uh, some U16 games in New Hampshire and those kinds of, those kinds of games. So... It was okay, and then the second year, I uh, broke my collarbone, so mm-hmm. I was out for the whole season, and then I think just the motivation I got from the coaches and, like, trusting, I mean, it sounds pretty cliche, but trusting the process, like, I had a good summer before my junior year, so I was, even though I haven't played a whole lot, I was pretty confident in myself, which was sort of hard, but, but yeah, I mean, as the season went on, I played better and better, and so, yeah. Well, I know uh, you had 54 points in 37 games that one year, uh, so obviously a really strong season. But last year, crazy numbers, 73 points in 35 games. It almost looks like maybe that was too easy for you last year. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think it was too easy, but um, I think the reason why I wanted to go back is the stats, they look good on the sheet, but um, from the first year, I mean, from the year that the Oilers picked up, picked me up, but I wasn't. You know, it was just my first year really playing in that league. Like, I was growing pretty quick as a player, but I wasn't too confident in, like, moving up because I I didn't want to lose my senior year. So I definitely had a good time, and it was due to the confidence that I was able to put up the good numbers, and obviously my line mates were great. Like, I had those same line mates for a couple years, and we had great chemistry. So I think last season was really good. I was just... It was just a bummer at the end of the season. Everything got canceled because I was going to go play and uh, go back and play for the Omaha Lancers, which would have been a good experience to get more than four games. But, you know, that's just – you can't do anything about it. Yeah, and you, you did have those four games, and you had three points for them as well. So it seems like uh, wherever you've been able to play the last couple of years, uh, you've been uh, producing. It uh, doesn't matter. Even this year in Finland, only three games, but you got three points uh, as well. So – it seems like uh, you've had a lot of success, even in uh, small chunks. Uh, I want to ask you one more question about uh, KUA, and that's uh, you had a couple of uh, teammates, uh, the Fantilli brothers, and Adam Fantilli getting a lot of hype for a couple of years from now. Is yeah. uh, is he going to live up to that hype? Tell me about this guy. He sounds like he's a pretty interesting player. Yeah, I think definitely the hype is not just made up. You know, he he's an unbelievable player for sure. Um, I think, well, you know, all the, I mean, due to the age that we're like living in, there's social media and like every game he would play, there would be different posts on how many points he has and stuff like that. So I think it's pretty tough on that part, you know, but um, he certainly lives up to it. I mean, he's still really young and he has a couple of years and uh, mm-hmm. I know he had like a little bit of a slower start with the steal, but now he's getting going. So I think, uh, you know, once he 
gets older and older, he's just going to keep getting better. So I think the the hype is definitely real there. Uh, he's not eligible until 2023, uh, but already yeah. off off to a pretty good start here with uh, the Chicago Steel. Um, Thomas Mazur is my guest. Uh, you mentioned the Edmonton Oilers. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Uh, they drafted you, as I mentioned, in the sixth round in 2019. That year, did you expect to be drafted? Or tell me what the, the being uh, chosen by the Oilers, what that meant to you. Yeah, it was uh, definitely emotional for me. I mean, you know, it doesn't guarantee that you uh, you will play in the NHL, but for me, it was sort of a sort of a payback because, like, I talked about the journey was pretty tough, and I was never really like a high pro- high end prospect, or didn't I didn't play until the year I actually got drafted. So I no, I didn't expect it. I mean, I was. I was hoping to get on the radar for some colleges. And it turned out, you know, I was better than I thought, I guess. So it, it was a good feeling for sure. But, you know, the work doesn't stop. Uh, and I know there was another Czech player taken by the Oilers that year in uh, Matty Blumel. I can't just assume you you know each other because you're from the same country. But hockey can be uh, like that in some ways. Did, did you know him? Yeah, I've said this story a bunch of times, so I'm sure like if some of the fans follow your show and they know who me and Matej are, um, we we actually have been best friends our whole life. So we grew up like playing on the same line and in the same same town, and we were actually watching the draft together. So it was it made it even more crazy than because <laughs> we didn't even know if we were gonna get drafted. Like I didn't really think I would, but. <laughs> turns out we got drafted to the same team so it's great he's having a great season and we stay in touch basically every day and i'm happy for him well i didn't honestly know that story that's that's terrific though yeah man that year he was playing in the ushl and he had a big year with the uh with with the waterloo blackhawks now he's he's playing uh, professionally back in in the czech republic right now right he's not going to college yeah he he, i don't know for some reason he, he ended up going back to play pro hockey i guess Everyone has to find their path, and he's having a really good year. Mm-hmm. I know he's, uh, he's played in the national, the men's national team, and he just got invited to another tournament, and he's one of the leading scorers of the team at home. So he, he's doing great. Like I'm su- su- super happy for him because he works really hard, and you know, work hard work pays off. So, uh, Tomas, uh, tell me about uh, Providence College. You'll go there next year. You'll join the Friars. Uh, let's assume that everything is back to normal uh, next year, and that's the plan. Uh, why Providence? What led you there? Um, it was it was sort of an early commitment for me. I mean, I only played like 15 prep school games maybe, and then uh, I decided to commit to Providence. But for me, it was a no-brainer. Like I had a friend who played there, and he really enjoyed it. You know, the coach coaches are great, great spot, like with a good history and uh the academics are awesome too so i mean i'm certainly very happy that that's the school i get to go to yeah nate layman uh really uh i haven't heard anybody say anything negative about him just obviously had success with team usa at the at the world junior championship really really good coach he's been on the show uh, a few times as well now there was a chance that you could have gone this year but uh but uh, with everything going on you weren't able to go uh yeah it was you know, this year just has been so complicated, not only in terms of uh, of finding a place to play, but obviously COVID. Like, I was supposed to play there, but I I wasn't sure how much ice time I would get. That's the first part. And the second part is we weren't really sure how much colleges would play because you right. see some colleges even canceling the whole season. So um, 
me and the Oilers, we made the decision that I would go play for the Chicago Steel because we thought that the USHL would play more games than the college, which turns out to be true. But the problem was getting over the border as an international player. So, you know, no one to blame there. It's just a tough situation. But uh, it's going to work out eventually. And I'll, I'll come there and I'll be more prepared to play and play bigger minutes from the start. So I'm happy about are are you uh, in contact with the Oilers a lot? Do you is there someone from the organization that you speak with uh, quite often about the groin injury or about just uh, what you should do for training things like that? Uh yeah, I mean I know last year when uh, everything was in normal and Scott Housen was still there, I think he's like the president of the AHL now. Yeah, he he was the director of player personnel, so he would reach out to every player and check in how they're doing and come see some games of all of us. And then there's still like a couple people that interviewed me before the draft and, and, and stuff like that. So I'm in touch with them. I update them about the injuries and about what is going on. So yeah, we have a good relationship there. So uh, because I, the reason I ask is because I know they found places in Europe for a lot of their players to play. I think most of them were players they had already signed though. And I, I wasn't sure if, if that was the difference. Did they help you get to Finland and find? the team to play for there and things like that? Or did you do all of that on your own? Uh, no, they did all of it. Yeah, I got to okay. thank them for that. Like, um, It's been awesome. Like you said, they were able to get everyone place to play. And for me as a late 2000 uh, born player, there is just, I'm pretty sure it's just Finland where I can still play junior hockey and keep my uh, NCAA eligibility. So it was huge to find that spot. And that was all of them. So, so they take care, really good care of uh, their players. Excellent. So, well, Thomas, I, I really appreciate your time. I, uh, I enjoyed speaking with you a lot. Uh, I hope you can get back on the ice and uh, and get into some games for the Buccaneers, uh, and uh, we'll be watching from afar. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's said Thomas Missouri from the Des Moines Buccaneers hasn't played a game still, but last week when I talked to him, that interview is now about 10, no, not quite 10 days, maybe uh, 7, 8 days, he did say he thinks he's a week or two away, so he didn't play last week. Not sure if he's uh, getting into the lineup this weekend, but, you know, a couple of weeks. Uh, he's got to be really close to uh, finally getting on the ice and uh, playing, and he's got to be excited about that. And I, I just want to see what kind of a season he has, because it's a guy who put up big numbers at the last level he was at, but it's tough to gauge production at an academy. It's It's much like the U.S. high schools, where guys seem to put up points like they're like it's super easy for them but then they get to the a, a tougher level like the ushl and maybe it translates there and they keep going at the same clip and uh, a lot of times that doesn't happen so i am curious to see what happens here with thomas Missouri once he gets on the ice with the buccaneers and off to providence next year you know he's gonna uh, he's got a great coach there in nate lehman and although I'm not an Oiler fan, I'm in the Edmonton area, and obviously there's a lot of interest uh, when it comes to any of their prospects. So uh, that one there for uh, Oiler fans. Okay, up next we get to the two conversations I had just in the last few days. We'll head to Medicine Hat. Willie Desjardins is the head coach and general manager of the Medicine Hat Tigers. They return to action here in two weeks' time. But what have they done for the last 11 months? And how different is this year's team going to look? And why are they even playing? 24 games? I ask a lot of those types of questions, and uh, and Coach provides answers to them all. That's next, here on the Pipeline Show. No sleep till! Bandra, 
off the wall. Falling there was Longo as uh, he couldn't stop that rush on the right side. Goodberg walks in, hands it up in front. That's so good. Making a nice read there, especially on those long legs. Hey, it's Matt Sogard from the Medicine Hat Tigers, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. The Troubled Monk Brew of the Week sure is a tasty one. Bud, what is it? Bucktooth Belgian White, a light and citrusy, flavorful beer. This Belgian White is a perfect patio pint. Try it with a freshly cut orange to brighten up your already sunny day. Player comparable, Patrick Kane knows what season to turn it on and has splashes of brilliance. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at TroubledMonk.com. Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. I got bronchitis. Ain't nobody got time for that. Back on the Pipeline Show, we're going to look ahead to the upcoming uh, "quote unquote" season in the WHL. Twenty-four game schedule. Uh, things will get going here in Alberta at the end of February, just a couple of weeks away. One of the teams you'll see on the ice, of course, the Medicine Hat Tigers, and uh, that means I get to speak. With the uh, general manager and head coach, that's Willie Desjardins. Uh, coach, welcome back to the program. How are things in Med Hat? Things are good. It's a little cold, but things are good. Well, yeah, it's cold and chilly up here as well, but uh, I imagine there's uh, a level of excitement uh, getting back on the ice here uh, soon, if if not already. Have you uh, have the guys started skating yet? No, we're all quarantining, and uh, we just had tests, so we're, we're going through that. We got our first results back and it was good. Everything was negative. So uh, we have one more and then if, if everybody's good out of that one, then we can come back and uh, start some on ice stuff. What's been the hardest thing to do here in the last, gosh, it's been what, almost 11 months now since uh, the league shut down. Uh, how challenging has this been for you just on a personal bit, on a personal level or uh, from a team perspective? Well, I think the hardest thing is for the players. Um, like all these young guys are looking for a chance and they've, they've trained hard to get that chance. And it's really frustrating when you put in all that work and then you can't show anybody the work you've put in. Um, so I think that's the hardest thing to see is just their frustration, uh, their desire to play. Um, you know, and I, I think when, when you know the guys and you, you, you know how much they want it, then it's hard to see that they're not getting an opportunity to show what they can do. Uh, I really feel for the guys who were the overage players last year who didn't get to really know when their last game was going to be. It's it's one thing to lose your last game of the year, but another altogether not to even get to play it. Um, thankfully, it looks like uh, this year's crop of overage guys will get to play. Uh, but again, just a, a tough situation for them. Uh, certainly not the way anybody wants to finish their WHL career. No, it's hard when you get luck like a guy like Jimmy Hamlin from Edmonton way like he is such a good player such a great leader five years in the league you know has worked his whole time for that last playoff run and then not to get it is is so unfair for him yeah um because that was kind of his opportunity to show what he could do maybe up his chances and and it was good he got he did get signed in the others organization which was great but um it, it was hard for those guys that had, had especially if you're a five-year guy that you'd been in the league, that's what you're dreaming to do. Um, and then when you go to the guys this year, it's the same. It's, it's that group that you've had since they're 16 
that have played and and now you you know you're into a season that's it's a shortened season it's just not it's just not the way you wanted to finish your your career no absolutely not and for you uh you were back in the league last year how how much had things changed since the you know a decade ago when you were first with the tigers for such a long period uh i think they've changed a little bit i think the players have changed uh, i think they're more knowledgeable um you know i think uh the coaching's the coaching's always been good in the league, but it's certainly exceptional now. There's lots of good coaches. Uh, every organization is well prepared. Um, and I think just the level of the player has gone up. So it, uh, you know, it's been, it's been good to come back to the league. There's certainly some, um, you know, Edmonton has a really good franchise there. Uh, there's some good, there's some good teams in the league. Coach, what, what's been the challenge over the last 11 months to keep the guys sort of engaged and, and focused on because it never really knew when the league would come back, but the thought was, you know, it, uh, it would, you got to be ready. Uh, but when there's so much uncertainty, how do you keep the guys uh, motivated? Yeah, I think you're right. I think the biggest problem for everybody is uncertainty. Like if you know, it's going to be this date or that day, then it's, it is easier to deal with. Right. Um, and we had a couple of dates change where we, we were hoping we we're going to get to go and, and it was nobody's fault. Like the league did a great job. Like they, they've worked so hard to put in the protocol and everything, uh, to keep it safe. It's, it's, it's really unbelievable the amount of work people have put in to do that. Um, but saying that it's still, it's still something where, you know, you, you're hoping this month it's going to go. You put everything into believing and then it doesn't go. So I've got to give the league a lot of credit and the owners a lot of credit for, uh, for playing without fans. Um, just to give the the players an opportunity this year to play. Well, and I wonder if that's really all what it comes down to. We don't know anything about what a potential playoff structure could be like, if there will be playoffs at all. Heck, if there's a Memorial Cup. I know there would be some fans or some critics that would say a 24-game WHL schedule, why bother? What do you tell somebody that you know asks that question or, or says something like that? I would say ask the kids. Like those kids want to play so bad yeah. and they've waited so long and scouts have all kinds of video access now where they can watch kids. Like maybe they can't get to every game in person, but they can watch every game. So I think it's, I think a 10 game schedule would have been great. I think any kind of a schedule would have been better than no schedule at all. So I'm excited that we're going to get 24. I think that's a, you know, that's a big, a big step. And I know lots of, Lots of players are exciting about that. They can show what they can do in those 24 games. So, and you just kind of have to look at it as playoffs. Like these are your, your playoffs. If something else happens, great. If not, then these are your playoffs. So you've got to show right away what you can do. And, and that's why you've worked hard for the last 10 months to get this opportunity. Because we don't know if there will be any sort of postseason, or maybe you do and, and it hasn't just been made public, but uh, what would you consider to be a successful season here with these 24 games? Well, I think a successful season would be seeing the players develop, seeing them get in mentally, being able to refocus and know that next year is going to be a new year. It's going to be back to normal. Um, I think in a lot of ways, the mental health part is probably as, as important as anything right now. Um, so I think just, just the fact that we get to play, the kids get to be together, they get some semblance of normalcy again is is going to be a success right there. Uh, I think another thing would be defined is if the scouts get a look at them to get to see where they fit into their plans. 
Um, you know, and, and I think the kids get a chance to come back and compete. So I think all those things would be something you would consider a successful season. Now, you mentioned a, a little bit ago that you just had your testing and you're sort of in your uh, quarantine stage uh, of camp. Uh, I read this week that the uh, the Rebels are sleeping at the rink. Uh, are you guys going to that extreme as well? How, how are you doing things in Medicine Hat? No, we won't go to that extreme. We'll, uh, we'll go back to a billet uh, situation. Uh, we are fortunate. The cases, case loads are they're not high in Medicine Hat. Uh, we've been, you know, it's been pretty good here the last month or two months. Um, so, and it's been good. We, you know, we took lots of precaution too, because it's not just precaution for our guys; it's precaution for the city and, and bringing people into the city. Uh, all our guys were tested though and come in, and they're all clean, which is great. Bringing them in. Um, and now we just have to make sure we, we, we keep them, you know, as safe as we can with, with, you know, testing and, and with, uh, you know, wearing masks and everything that you need to do to be, be successful. Uh, Coach Willie Desjardins is my guest here on the Pipeline Show, looking uh, ahead to this coming abbreviated season here in the WHL. And uh, the rosters have been updated on the WHL's website for fans uh, and uh, a lot of notable names, once again, with the Tigers, who are always a competitive team. A couple of uh, noteworthy uh, uh, omissions right now, though. Matt Sogard, uh, playing professionally over in Denmark, not going to be back for you this year? No, he won't be back. I talked to Matt the other day. Uh, he's having a real good uh, season over there. I think his safe change is 939 or something. Like, he's doing well. And, yeah. you know, and it's good. It's a, you know, it's their, their pro division. Um, you know, saying something for Mads to come over, you know, you got to quarantine for a period of time. Uh, lots of things. So now that he's in there playing, it's better for him to stay there. Uh, he's getting a great opportunity. Um, you know, Ottawa was really good with us. They were exceptional. They phoned us and talked to us. And, you know, we stayed updated with, with their plans and what they wanted to do. So uh, I think there's been a lot of people that, you know, that you don't recognize how much goes on behind the scenes to to try to make sure kids are good with things and uh, that their health is, uh, you know, is being taken care of. Yeah, it's great to see him playing and playing very well uh, in Denmark. I yeah. think the last time I looked, he had the, the highest uh, goals against average or save percentage, one or the other, in Denmark. Like the best, I mean, not the highest. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so yeah, he's he's been good. I think he's like ten and one or ten and two or something. So he's played well. Uh, I have to ask about Cole Sillinger as well, uh, playing in the USHL right now. And I had Mike Johnston on the show a couple of weeks ago and. And uh, he said that the players that he loaned to the USHL that they're not eligible to come back, even if the dub starts up again. And now we know that that's going to be the case in the U.S. as well. Uh, so, can you confirm for me what the status is for Cole Sillinger in terms of the Medicine Hat Tigers? Is is he no longer a Tiger for the rest of this year uh, and can come back next year? Or what's the situation? Yeah, I, I, my understanding, and it might be a little different than Mike or Mike might they might have been starting a little later if. I think if Sioux Falls finishes, then we can bring Cole back to our team after that. So there still would be a chance if our season's still going and they're done, that he would be able to come back in and, in some form and <clears throat> and play. Um, but he's a you know it was it was good for Cole. He he wasn't quite sure if we'd get to go, and he just had to make that decision at an unknown time. And you know he since he wasn't sure, uh, he just wanted to make sure he got some games. Like he's a you know, he's a high-end player that the scouts are going to want to see, and um, he just felt he needed to do that. We certainly support him. 
Yeah, no question there. I think it was a January 10th thing for USA Hockey if anybody was going to transfer in like that. So there was that deadline, and at that time we didn't know if the WHL was coming back. So a tough situation for uh, a number of those players. Uh, now, as every year, you're bringing in some young guys, some fresh faces. Oasis Weisblatt's going to be a full-time player for you. Uh, you got to be excited about this uh, this fresh crop of players coming in. It is exciting, and you know, lots of ways. It's they couldn't come in at a better time. Uh, you know, to come in, there'll be opportunities in the lineup. Like with Sillinger out, somebody's got to fill that spot. Uh, probably we had two other, uh, one other for sure, European forward coming back. Um, you know, those spots are got to be filled. They get to be filled by young guys. So I think it's great for young players. Um, you know, and that's one of the big things out of our league. We have so many young players coming in that are so talented that it, it, it's a good opportunity for them to grow and, and, you know, become stars in the future. The challenge, I guess, or one of the challenges, maybe the biggest one, will be to, to handle the schedule if there are postponements or some, you know, when things pop up. Uh, and the, you you have to adjust on the fly like that. Uh, what do you do to to mitigate any sort of uh, complications in terms of uh, COVID and and all of those things moving forward here? Uh, just so hopefully we don't see in the dub what we've seen in most other leagues that are even the NHL having postponed games uh, left and right. Yeah, Doctor Nadeau's he's been really unbelievable. He's had such a wealth of knowledge in this area and. He, and it's it's amazing how hard he was worked and the time he's put in. So uh, I got to give him a lot of credit. And, you know, I, I, going forward, you you have to expect that something will happen somewhere along the line. I think it would be unrealistic to think that it will go through the whole time with without somebody getting it. Right. But we have protocols in place. Um, you know, basically, if it's somebody in your in your cohort, then the teams are shut down for 14 days, and, and we have a responsibility that we want to make sure we keep guys safe. So our, our rules and regulations are pretty strict. Um, and saying that, like, there's such incentive for every player because if you bring something in, everybody's shut down. So everybody knows that it's really critical that they keep themselves safe and, you know, they protect others around them too because if that doesn't happen, then, then you're shut down for, for a big period of time. So I think we have lots of things in place that are, that'll watch with masks, uh, people that are coming in and out of the cohorts, um, all those things are have been looked at and identified as well as testing. So uh, I think we're we're in a good spot. Um, I do expect that something will come up, and when it does, we have to we have to go with it. And we have to follow the health authorities on, on what they've laid out for us. Do you know when a, a schedule will uh, be released, at least publicly? I don't know if you guys uh, have one internally or not. Um, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I have seen a schedule. Um, I don't know when it'll be released publicly, okay. um, but I think it's, you know, I, I, I think it's, I don't know when it is, but I think right now it's, it, it, they're looking at weekends um, and that's another mandate. They want to have time between the games so they can make sure there's nothing come out. Uh, so they, they've really done a lot to, to try to make sure that this is going to be a safe environment. And, uh, you know, when I first, went through their document i couldn't believe the detail in the document so it's good to see that uh, you know they put in that kind of time to figure out what's safe for us and i know from a broadcast perspective I, well i'm not sure if broadcasters are allowed to travel with the teams or not or if guys will have uh, to have to drive themselves to 
to uh, rinks or if they're going to be broadcasting from studios. I don't know what the situation is, but uh, the first game back is a big one for Bob Ridley. I, I think it's second. I think uh, I think he he got a three thousand nine hundred ninety eight. So he's got one, and then the second game I think will be a four thousand, which okay. is huge. It's really amazing when you think of a guy that's put in fifty years, yeah, driven the bus and called games, and out of those fifty years that the Tigers have played, he's missed one game. And it wasn't even because he was sick. He had, yeah. he, his call was to, I think it was to go to the silver broom and call the game. But it, how can a guy go 50 years without missing one game? That's it's crazy. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, the only downside to this is, is no fans in the building. You know, like that, <laughs> that, that's a night where he needs a standing ovation to celebrate and uh, where everybody's going to kind of be robbed of that. But uh, unfortunate, but man, what a milestone. Yeah, it is a milestone, and you're right. It is it it is fair, um, but I think like everything else, um, Bob's done in his career. He'll find a way to go through it and make the best of it. And uh, I know he'll treasure all the moments he's had. But uh, that really is a milestone. Well, Coach, I appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy this uh, upcoming season, and uh, best of luck uh, with uh, everything, uh, all the complications that you have to deal with. Uh, I'm just happy that we we get to have some WHL hockey back. Yeah, it'll be great. Thanks, guys. Yeah, have a great day. There's Willie Desjardins, the head coach and GM of the Medicine Hat Tigers. Called me Guy a couple of times in that interview. I'm not sure if that's just a, a euphemism that he uses, like, hey, buddy, or sport. He calls me Guy, or if that's what he thought my name was. But uh, regardless, I appreciate uh, Coach Desjardins making the time for the Pipeline show. And uh, one of the things that I haven't talked about yet is uh, with the WHL returning to action, there's a bunch of players who are drafted and signed by their NHL clubs who are playing in the AHL that normally wouldn't be able to. And now that the dub is starting up, those players are going to have to come back to the WHL. And I wonder how happy those players are going to be about that. Right now, Seth Jarvis of of the Portland Winterhawks is leading the AHL in scoring. He's got six points in four games. Peyton Krebs, another guy. He just turned 20. So if this was a normal year, he would have been 19 at the start. This is his final year before he can uh, turn pro. He's in top 10 in AHL scoring right now. If the OHL was back, Phil Tomasino, he's second in AHL scoring. I mean, it's great. These guys, have, uh, a number of these uh, CHL-aged players are getting a chance to play. But now that the leagues are returning to action, I expect the OHL will at some point. I hope these guys return to the league and they're okay. They're happy. That's something to watch for. Again, in case you missed it, the uh, WHL Central Division returning to play here on uh, the 26th of February and just announced today the Eastern Division, Saskatchewan, the 17th in Saskatchewan and uh, Manitoba combined will hub it up. They're going to play some bubble hockey in Regina. That starts on March 12th and the U.S. Division on March 19th playing everything in the state of Washington. Portland's expected to relocate to Kent uh, for this coming uh, abbreviated season a final segment to go on this week's episode uh, we're going to talk some college puck jimmy Connolly from uscho is going to stop by we're going to talk playoffs playoffs that's next here on the pipeline show hey it's cody kunick from the alaska nonics hey it's john Crowley of the miami red hawk hello it's uh, mark jankowski hey it's phil Giuseppe from the michigan wolverines you're listening to the pipeline show passion talent 
development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Jonathan Taves. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Joe Pavelski. Score! And Johnny Gaudreau. We're stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. You don't scare me. I got chunks of guys like you in my stool. Ending this week's episode of The Pipeline Show with an NCAA campus report brought to you by College Hockey, Inc. If you are in, uh, if you're a player and uh, considering all of your options, you need to know what you can and can't do to maintain your eligibility. Well, College Hockey, Inc.'s a great resource for that. You can get in touch with uh, Nate Ewell or Mike Snee, and they can answer any of the questions that you might have. Uh, so you know what you can and what you can't do to uh, keep that eligibility intact. All right, lots happening this week in college hockey as uh, one of the, uh, the the loops in amateur sports that uh, continues to uh, keep playing uh, despite COVID situations and just the rescheduling, a lot of games being postponed. Well, there's some positive news this week as playoff formats have been uh, announced by a few of the conferences. Uh, let's get the uh, update from our good friend Jimmy Connolly from USCHO. Jimmy, welcome back to the show. What's going on? Uh, just, uh, taking it day by day down here, Guy. It's, uh, it's, uh, living the life of a, you know, COVID hell. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Uh, I was just looking at the, the standings in Hockey East where, where you're, uh, closest to, and it's funny to see the, the great disparity between games played for some of these teams. Suddenly, you know, like Matt, UMass is up to 19. Meanwhile, you got Vermont at eight. Uh, it's, it's really been an interesting and challenging season for everybody. It has, and you know the leagues. You know, there's probably three leagues that have probably been the hardest hit, and that would be uh, Atlantic Hockey, WCHA, and as you mentioned, Hockey East. And you do have just wide numbers. You know, there was a point I think UMass was at 18. You had three schools at four. You know, I mean that's how that's how wide the gap has gotten, and it's it's starting to close. And um, you know, I think the league is what they announced about three weeks ago now that they were basically throwing the entire schedule for the rest of the season away. And basically every Tuesday they announce who is going to play the next week, who they're going to play, um, and, you know, how many games. And that is the, uh, the reason for that is to try to get some balance to the schedule. Um, Commissioner Steve Metcalf, first year commissioner, haha. <laughs> I don't envy the position he's in, but they're trying to put balance, but they also announced uh, this week, uh, I guess it was just yesterday, um, that the uh, league will basically recognize the fact that there is such an imbalance. They're going to put in some sort of a formula. They're calling it the Hockey's Power Index. Whereas, so straight standings, you know, even if you take percentage of points available that you win, um, those still, the straight percentage won't even be used to decide the final champion. Yes, maybe the team that has the highest percentage will still win the championship, but it's going to actually take into account how many games you played and who you played. So if, you know, say a team, you know, just because they were scheduling games, I think it was even UConn did this. I think they've already played Boston College four times. You know, that's a, a pretty tall task. If you then have a school that never played Boston College at all or never played 
UMass, some of the teams that have been pretty strong all year, then then that, you know, there's a potential that there could be a, a, a disadvantage to the teams that had to play them more times and maybe took a few more losses. So they're trying to put some sort of a formula around it, and that will be released every week. It's almost similar to what you, you had in years past with the pairwise rankings, except just within one uh, league, just a single conference. So it's right. interesting. It was kind of a little bit cutting edge to do it, um, but it was well received from what I'm told uh, by all the men's and women's coaches in hockey. It's, it's really the only way to really figure out, you know, the, the, the seedings for the tournament. Um, and the other thing that they've done is they're going to allow every team into the postseason. They weren't, you know, in past years, it was only the top eight out of 11 got in. Now everybody's in. So that's the, those are the big changes that I think the league has tried to make to make it a little bit more fair. But the imbalance of the schedule is just crazy to me. And a couple of the other conferences have announced a similar, well, I don't know if it's a similar format, but they've also announced their plan. NCAC was one and, and I think Big Ten as well, if I, if I remember correctly, do you know, I, I didn't read all the, the details. Uh, are they vastly different or are they basically all f- following a, a similar format? Well, I don't think that those two conferences feel the need to have some sort of a power index. I think they're just going to go straight on percentage of points earned, you know, out of the maximum number of points that you can earn. In those conferences, I think by the end of the day, if if every team doesn't have the exact same number of games played, it's going to be really close within a game. It's not going to be a disparity of maybe 10 games, you know. And for the most part, you'll have played every one of the opponents um, in both conferences. So th- those two leagues, what they have announced is that they will just be hosting their entire tournament in a compressed manner in one city. For uh, the Big Ten, they're going to uh, the University of Notre Dame. They'll play it in South Bend, Indiana. And for uh, the NCHC, they're going to go to Grand Forks and play it uh, at Ralph, Ralph Engelstad Arena at uh, University of North Dakota. So um, th- those tournaments, they will no longer – and this is pretty much – going to be a standard i don't think most leagues are going to have best of three uh opening rounds uh most tournaments i think are going to go to single elimination just get it done quicker don't give yourself more time to potentially have an outbreak within a program and thus have to you know maybe kick them out of the tournament because you know you have a COVID outbreak and you can't play the game so right uh with the, with the WCHA, they'll play. Uh, they'll get eight teams in one city and play the tournament over a span of six days. And the Big Ten, I believe, it's even more than this. I think they're playing in three straight days. You know, a quarterfinal, semifinal, final, uh, really quickly. They've done that before. That when the Big Ten first came around, that was actually their playoff format. So it's not something that's brand new to the to the Big Ten teams. Um, but they had started to break it up into three weeks now they'll do it in three days will the big 10 include arizona state this year i know there's seven teams in the big 10 but they've kind of extended arizona state almost honorary status uh, for this season Uh, but what about the playoffs eight teams in a playoff would make would would be a lot easier than seven yeah no they will not be using uh, arizona state in the playoffs Um, for, for arizona state they kind of walked into this knowing that they still remained an independent all of the games that uh, get played against Arizona State do not count in the Big Ten standing. So uh, they will not be included. So it will be a seven-team playoff. You'll just have uh, one team get a bye through the first round, whoever finishes in first place. Then everybody, you know, the, the other six play down 
to three. They get joined by that team on the bye, and you have a semifinal and a final. So uh, Arizona State, they went into it knowing what they what they were up against in terms of the fact that they really are not still not a member of this conference. I don't know uh, if this maybe gives them an inside track to maybe become members of the conference. You know, the one thing you look at with Arizona State is academically they don't they're not exactly on the same par as the big, uh, a typical Big Ten school, and the Big Ten really kind of pumps ac- academics, not to the extent of the Ivies, but pretty close. So that, you know, that's I always thought was the one thing that holds Arizona State back. I don't know if the relationships that they've built this year with, you know, traveling out to all the Big Ten schools and playing their entire season on the road has improved any of those discussions and and maybe that could help them with membership but as of right now Arizona State's still an independent still looking for a home uh, and this year their only way to the NCAA tournament would be to an uh, at-large bid something that seems pretty unlikely at this point yeah with a record of 513 and 2 I think it'd be a, a hard uh, argument to make uh, to, to give them a an at-large bid uh, tough season for the uh, for the Sun Devils um now, when when do you see these playoffs taking place? In, in a normal year, it would be right around mid-March, wouldn't it? So is that sort of the target again? It, it is. I think most of these leagues have said somewhere um, between, I believe, March 12th and about the 20th that they'll get played. You know, some leagues, I think the Big Ten and Hockey East are still trying to play their championship games on a Saturday like they typically would. I believe that the NCHC is playing their uh, championship game on Wednesday. I think it's actually St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. They're they're playing their championship game, so it'll get played somewhere between the 12th and the 20th, depending on leagues. Um, and hopefully by the 20th, of course, you know, would be the last possible day because the NCAA selection uh, process is is supposed to take place on the 21st. So that is what what is kind of scheduled. But the, you know, we saw it last year. We were you know basically a couple of days away from uh tournaments beginning maybe i think it might have been some tournaments had already been underway yep. and the whole season was canceled so we know that i think everybody understands that this is just as fragile potentially as it was last year um so it's it's it there's there's going to be there's still a high threat for some difficulties as we get down the stretch here the, the stretch here and i think the most devastating one would be if a team in the postseason gets a major outbreak and has to pull the plug on their season. That would be the most devastating of of all the outcomes. Uh, what about the uh, the regionals and then the eventual uh, national championship? Everything as I mean, everything's got an asterisk as you just ca- outlined. But all of that still planning on moving forward as close to normal as as in the in a in a normal year where you have four regionals. And from everything I'm being told, uh, that is still the plan. Um, the NCAA still wants to hold regionals and then hold a Frozen Four in Pittsburgh. Uh, they have changed that in men's and women's basketball and women's hockey. All of those tournaments are being played in single cities. Um, so I actually thought that you know Pittsburgh might be the home for the entire tournament, but mm-hmm. everything I'm told is that they're trying to stick to the four regionals. Now there's a caveat in there. Manchester, which is being hosted by University of New Hampshire, already said, we can't host this. We're not hosting the regionals. So the one thing the NCAA has to do before it can really decide on how they're going to play the tournament, they need to find a place to play the Northeast Regional um, with Manchester out. And I'm hearing that they're, they're considering possibly putting it onto a campus such as the University of New Hampshire's campus or UMass Lowell's campus or Boston University's campus. Um, that's something the NCAA tries to avoid. 
but it's usually so that you don't create too much of a home ice atmosphere. There's not fans in the stands, so there's no real home ice atmosphere. I don't think they have that big of a worry. But, you know, it's still something that they've got, got to take care of, and I'm told that the meetings are taking place this week, so hopefully by early next week we'll have some decisions from the NCAA. And the other crazy thing, of course, is how do you select a field yeah. for a tournament? We already know that the pairwise rankings are thrown out. They don't work this year because pairwise really depends on non-conference play, and Hockey East, uh, the Big Ten, and the NCHC, the Big Ten maybe except for those games against Arizona State, but none of those conferences played non-conference games this year. So you're really in a situation where it's going to be – you can't use a computerized model to pick the tournament, and that's something that you know does concern people because now you're kind of putting some um, subjectivity into the whole thing, and there'll be more of an eye test than there ever has been. Uh, in the last 20 years that they've been, you know, using, basically using the pairwise for almost two decades now. So it's, there, there's a lot of, uh, questions, a lot of things still up in the air with the NCAA tournament. As you said, it's an asterisk to everything, but even getting the whole thing planned, uh, that has some, a lot of question marks left as well. Uh, Jimmy, just looking at the, uh, we'll talk about the eye test, looking at the, uh, the, the rankings at USCHO, Boston College, North Dakota, Minnesota State, Minnesota Duluth are the top four and all received first place votes. Does this year make it tougher because these teams aren't playing non-conference games, so it's hard to gauge Boston College against Minnesota State, just as an example, because they're not playing each other or they're not playing the opponents that the others are playing. Yeah, it certainly does. I've, you know, I've thought that the poll has been a very difficult ballot to fill out for me every week. Um, for me, I think I've had to take the approach that your record is your record. Um, you know, so if you play in the WCHA or hockey, DECAC, even Atlantic hockey, I've had no problem giving AIC and Robert Morris votes in my, on my ballot because they've been forced to play games and they're playing them and winning them. So, you know, I think that is really at the end of the day what will ha- end up happening with the NCAA tournament that it'll really be, you're going to have to look at records. Um, the good thing is you don't have any massive anomalies right now. You don't have, you know, two teams running away with an entire conference and then nobody else, you know, even in the in the picture. There's, there's a lot of parity throughout every one of the leagues. Um, but you do look at a league like, say, the ACAC, you know, the eight of their members aren't playing hockey this year. So you're right. down to only four teams. And you've got some pretty good teams in there. You have both Clarkson and Quinnipiac that have, had decent seasons to date. I mean, the fact that they've cannibalized each other a little bit within the league yeah. might make it a more a simple decision to only maybe take one of those teams, but you've got two really quality teams. Would you ever think that a, t- a league with only four teams should get two NCAA bids? That, those are the types of questions that are going to come up, and they're going to be very difficult to answer. Well, I, I just find I'm looking at Clarkson's schedule or their record right now. They're 9-7-4, and four, so nine wins and seven losses. Uh, and they're they're ranked 14th, and right behind them is AIC at 13 and three. They never play each other, and they're not playing the same opponents. So it's how do you how do you balance that? And uh, when you were talking about you just got to go by their record. Well, wouldn't the the Yellow Jackets have a much better record at 13 and three? I mean, my my head tells me Clarkson's a better team, but the record tells me that AIC is the better team. I think within the voting, you know. 
polls don't forget are, are just they're somewhat subjective because you course. have 40 voters just you know putting out their ballots so there, i'm sure there's some historical bias um and you know and that bias uh, if it's going to be against any league it's going to be against atlanta hockey you know, they've been around for whatever it is going back to the mac almost 20 more than 20 years i guess now uh back to the days when they were the mac and had their uh, automatic bids to the tournament and only once in the history have they ever put two teams in the tournament from that conference, you know, yeah. one, you know, it's been, it's been their automatic qualifier. And then, you know, once I believe it was, uh, either Canisius or Niagara, I think it was Canisius got in, um, as an at large one. So it's, it's really rare. Um, so I think there is a little bit of historical bias against that conference, but it's hard to have it against other conferences. They, don't forget Clarkson has been a good team, mm-hmm. um, for most of the last, you know, half decade. Uh, Casey Jones has done a pretty good job with that program. So I think they might be getting some votes out of just respect. I mean, another team that's kind of in that boat is Denver that, you know, they're three games below 500 and they just fell out of the USAHO poll uh, a week and a half ago. So, you know, it's going to be an uphill battle if they're going to make the NCAA tournament, but for voters to not vote Denver, I think it was six years that they were, they were in every poll for six, years straight so um it's sometimes i think voters just are used to putting a team's name in there and you know even if they're three games below 500 i you know i can't speak for everybody i know for myself i feel like i'm trying to you know really look at records a little bit more than reputation um but there's bias it's it's hard not to have a little bit of bias that was what the pairwise was always good for was taking out bias and right. really making it a, a computerized statistical process I think at the end of this year, people are going to appreciate the pairwise. People have criticized the pairwise for years. People are going to start appreciating the pairwise probably more than ever because they couldn't use it this season. I think you're right. Uh, okay, before I let you go, and I've kept you a long time, but uh, give me some players that have uh, some positive stories this year, guys who have stood out for you, uh, maybe taking a big jump in their development or just having you know, uh, a really, really strong season. Uh, who immediately comes to mind for you? Well, having a strong season and, and a really strong season since he's returned from World Juniors, Cole Caulfield is, is unbelievable. He's 33 points in 20 games right now, I believe, is the number. Uh, I think it's 21 points since he returned from World Juniors, so that's been just a little over a month. I mean, that's, that's, he's, he's, you know, offensively probably the best player in the country. Um, we, we don't, I don't know what we're getting from David Ferentz at Boston University. He's somebody that a lot of people, you know, knew had a lot of ability. He's put up, I believe it's 14 points, but they've only played six games. Yeah. You know, BU started to, wouldn't, weren't allowed to play a game until January uh, based on their school's policies. And then once they got started, they actually had a pause in there. They, they uh, missed a couple of games. So they, they only have six games still played and that, and then you you throw in. I, I'm sorry. I think B has actually played eight. He's only played six. So Ferentz also has an injury right now that we don't know how serious it is. He if he's a kid that you know plays 30 games, he's probably going to score 50, 60 points. But we're going to have to probably make some judgment on how good he is based on a very small sample size. Um, so that's you know as I think about the Hobie Baker race, he's one of those players that I think would be a really strong Hobie candidate, but he might get hurt by the fact he hasn't played a ton of games. And then yeah. the last guy I'm going to leave you with, these stats are off the charts, what he's putting up. Dryden McKay at Minnesota State. Um, he had a great season last year, and everybody said, well, that was a one-off. You know, one You'll never see a season like that again. 
well, we're seeing a better season. His, his, I think he has a .82 goals against average and a 9.57 save percentage. Just one loss on his record thus far. I mean, he is getting the job done. I talked to Mike Hastings last week after they beat Bowling Green, and he faced a season-high 30 shots, dropped them all. And I said, how do you find more superlatives for this guy? He said, it's just Dryden being Dryden. That, that was his quote. It's really what it is. They just expect great things from him, and he performs every night on the stage. Seven shutouts and 12 starts thus far for McKay. And uh, he's a, a guy you can make the argument he's 5'11", but if he can stop pucks, he can stop pucks, right? And uh, you can't oh, go yeah. wrong if your goaltender's name is Dryden. He, he was named after Kim Dryden, too. I mean, talk about parents that had forward thinking when they were picking <laughs> their son's name. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and lastly, uh, I was going to mention Dylan Holloway coming back from the World Junior. He's been on fire. He actually has more points per game than Caulfield does, second only to Ferentz. Yeah, and had a great game uh, against Minnesota last week, five points on the second night of that uh, two-game sweep of the Gophers. Uh, the, the one thing, you know, I, I kind of, when we talk about players, I, I always seem to be thinking about the Hobie Baker race, and I do feel like Wisconsin might have to make a decision of who they're really pumping here, whether it's going to be Holloway or Caulfield, because, we, you know, when you have two candidates in your program, there's always a danger that if you try to pump both of them, you split the vote, yeah. and, and neither one of them sometimes wins the award. So I do wonder what will happen as they try to start promoting. Maybe this year, in a COVID year, it might be a little bit easier, and you don't have to promote guys as much because it's just different, and everybody thinks that it's a little bit different. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's obviously played very well. And what was shocking, I didn't even realize it until I talked to uh, my good friend uh, from USCHO, Todd Molesky, yesterday, who's, who covers the Badgers. They're not playing on a line together, Caulfield and Holloway. They're separated right now. And when you can, when you have that luxury to put two, maybe two of the best players in the country on two different lines, it makes Wisconsin a very hard team to play against right now. No kidding. They absolutely throttled the uh, Golden Gophers uh, in their last, uh, their last uh, weekend series. Uh, pretty impressive run the Badgers are on. Jimmy, as always, man, you knock it out of the park whenever you're on the show. I appreciate you making time, and it was short notice. The audience won't know that, but uh, I, I asked you if you'd be available. You said, how about now, basically. So I really, <laughs> really appreciate that. Well, it's always fun to join your show and, and talk to some great hockey fans up there in Canada. So hope everybody's staying safe, and, and uh, hopefully it'll be a day that we all get to see each other one, one, once again, and COVID can be gone away. Oh, that was Jimmy Conley from USCHO, a good friend of the Pipeline Show, and uh, lots of uh, college hockey uh, that we covered. And still about two, three weeks left of uh, college hockey to be played. I think most teams have three or four weekends still to go, and then we get into the playoffs, and hopefully there is a national tournament. will be interesting to see how that is all put together. Uh, but really appreciate Jimmy and uh, his time when he uh, gives it uh, to come on the Pipeline Show. That does it for this week's episode, which means uh, we it's time to clean up before we uh, end the program. And uh, that brings up a new advertising uh, partner here on the Pipeline Show. And bear with me on this one. Last Christmas, my wife bought me a gift that I didn't, I wasn't sure how to take it, honestly. Uh, it was a bidet, uh, a bidet from a tushy. And, and I'll be honest with you, I was a little weirded out by it. I, I've never used a bidet before. I've never even seen a bidet but my uh, everybody on my wife's side, my wife has five siblings. They all went to uh, Korea at one point over the last decade for a year. A couple of them went for two years. 
to teach English. And bidets outside of North America are quite popular. They all came back and spoke very highly of bidets and how great a bidet is. And I, I had no idea. But my wife went over to visit her sister while she was over there and came back home and immediately wanted to get a bidet. So she bought us a bidet for Christmas. And I got to be honest with you, a bidet is fantastic. So I reached out to Tushy and I said, man, I am a big fan of your product. Let's talk about it on the show. So uh, they agreed. They came on board. So let me tell you, the future of toileting has arrived. It's technically been around for centuries, but it's always been hideously expensive. And uh, sometimes it's cost like thousands of dollars. Well, Hello Tushy, the 3.0 modern bidet attachment is here to level the playing field. It's stylish, it's eco-friendly, it's easy to install, and it's affordable. The Hello Tushy 3.0 doesn't just cleanse your butt with a precise stream of fresh water, it cleans itself. Before and after, it's used with the Smart Spray automatic self-cleaning nozzle. So the bidet attaches to your existing toilet. You don't have to buy a whole new toilet. It doesn't use energy, so it doesn't have to be next to a plug-in or anything like that. There's no additional plumbing. You just hook it up to your toilet. One of the cool things about this, it cuts toilet paper use by about 80%. So the Hello Tushy bidet pays for itself in just a few months. Because, as they say, with Hello Tushy, you don't wipe at all. Just poop, spray, dry, and go. So here's what I want you to do. You go to thepipelineshow.com, that's my website, and you go to the sponsor and partner page, and you'll see the banner for Tushy. Click on that, and it will take you right to their website. HelloTushy.com slash pipeline. I promise you, if you've never heard or used a bidet before, it's just a little spray of uh, water on your butt. And the one I have has uh, two dials. Uh, one is to uh, adjust the temperature, which was big for my wife. She said, you know, I don't want to get the, a cold blast of uh, water. I'll be honest, I don't really care either way. But if that's a thing for you or for your spouse, that's taken care of for you too. I, I Really, really recommend it. Try it. If you've never tried it, man, you will not regret it. I guarantee it. HelloTushy.com slash pipeline. Check it out and let me know what you think. Tweet at me, at TPS underscore Gee. And you know what? Maybe include them in the tweet as well. If you've tried it before, let me know. If you are if you actually go and get a bidet and get it installed, well, you, you don't have to get it installed. You can install it yourself. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, but once you've tried it, let me know with a tweet at TPS underscore Gee. I believe there are two different types of people in the world. Those who love their bidet and those who haven't tried it yet. HelloTushy.com slash pipeline. All right. Thanks to the uh, guests that you heard from here on the uh, Pipeline Show. Don't forget, Patreon.com slash the Pipeline Show is where you can sign up to be a, a, a patron of the program. A couple of bucks a month is all it takes or even less if you sign up. With the annual option, you can have early access to all the interviews. You can actually ask, submit questions to me to ask the guests who are coming up uh, on the program. And I really appreciate all of you who have signed up to be a patron. Don't forget, wherever you're getting your copy of the Pipeline Show from, if you can leave a rating and or a comment, that would be really great as well. And as for now, I hope you all enjoy the weekend. I look forward to talking to you next week here on the Pipeline Show. Until then, I'm Keith Flaming. See ya.